Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Awesome. We're going to start a series today that I'm so excited to start. I've been chomping at the bit and uh, to get here today. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to start a series called uh, In Not Of. And what we're going to be talking about uh, in this series is we're going to be doing a study through the book of First Corinthians. And the reason I'm excited about this is because it's strategic. I want you to know uh, I've spent uh, hours preparing and considering and praying for what it is that God wants to say to the church. Uh, but I'm super excited about this series, In Not Of, uh, because what I'm going to do is I'm laying a foundation uh, of Bible teaching. So I want you just to capture a picture, and then I'll get into the Word today. It's very important. I, I see myself as kind of like a chef or kind of like a, uh, a farmer or maybe like a, a family cook. And my job is to make sure as a pastor that you're getting balanced teaching in the Scripture. If it was left up to me, I would be preaching on the similar topics all the time because I like those things or I don't want to touch anything that's a little bit uh, sensitive for fear that I might have to say some things that you don't want to hear. And so just generally, if a preacher or a pastor is left to himself uh, and just to decide whatever he wants to preach, often there's not a well-balanced diet. It's like me always giving you chocolate-covered strawberries, you know, just all the time because this is what we eat. But that's not how we're building our church. We're building our church on a well-balanced meal. And it's very important you understand that that is vital for your spiritual growth. And so I want you to know that it's important that you don't just get chocolate-covered strawberries all the time. You have to have a well-balanced meal in order to be a true follower of Christ. If you're just eating Pop-Tarts all the time, you're not going to be very healthy. And so my job is to bring you uh, the teach Scripture and the Word of God in a balanced way where you have fun, but we're also going to get in it today, and we're going to get into some really cool truths today. Can you, uh, have you ever had someone say to you that the Bible is not relevant for today's culture? You ever had someone say to you that in our society and in our culture, the Bible does not have any uh, uh, relevance to where we're at? Well, then you need to encourage that individual to read the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is absolutely relevant and, and hits the incredible uh, topics that you and I are experiencing in today's society today. The issues are embedded in philosophy, in humanism, divisions in the church, sexual immorality, in and out of the church, marriage, divorce, uh, being single, relationships between men and women, questionable practices, gray areas in the Christian community, gender roles in the church, homosexuality, but in the bottom line of love. The book of 1 Corinthians has incredible relevance for the hot topics in our society today. In a constantly shifting culture, we must understand our biblical worldview. It impacts our marriage. It impacts our finances and our sexuality. It impacts our parenting. It impacts our entire life as disciples of Jesus. And what Paul's going to try to teach us through the book of 1 Corinthians is how to live in the world, to be present and to love people and to love God and to be an active member of society, but to not live a life of the world. So today we're going to focus on the idea of what is truth. A little bit of background to, to, to Corinthians here, the Corinth, I'm sorry, Corinth is, was a sin, a, it was abounding a, a in sin in this cosmopolitan city. You might look at a city like Los Angeles or New York or Toronto or Vancouver or much like Calgary. 
These, the city of Corinth was, was, was intrigued by Greek philosophy and they were overwhelmed by uh, desire of the, of, for sport as they watched these Greek athletes uh, perform in, in, in the Colosseum. They, they were uh, intoxicated with, with gambling uh, surrounding these, these, these athletes who were like superhuman men who would go into the Colosseum and do all sorts of sports and do all sorts of things. Their entire culture was centered around the idea of sport. At one time, there was at least 12 different pagan temples. This is one of them. This is the temple of Aphrodite, the the goddess of love. Over 2,000 temple prostitutes. And you would walk in and to worship the goddess of Aphrodite, you would have sex with multiple men and multiple women. And it it just permeated itself throughout the culture of, of, of Corinth. In fact, so much so that when you would walk down the street between the morning and night, day and evening, there were prostitutes everywhere. I remember when my wife and I were driving in to Rome, if you've ever driven into Rome before, when you're driving into Rome, there's women lining the roads at nine o'clock in the morning, prostitutes being solicited by all sorts of different people, nine o'clock in the morning as we come into Rome. Everywhere, sexual immorality just permeated the environment. They would sell meat in the market that was sold, that was sacrificed to idols and idolatry to these different pagan idols. They would sacrifice this bull to the goddess of the Aphrodite and then they would take that meat and they would sell it in the meat market. And these believers didn't know what to do. How do we surround ourselves in this environment? What do we do in this place where all of these things are happening? How do I continue to be a follower of God and have a position on truth and stand for what I believe in but not allow myself to be of these things, what do I do? We see that Corinth was founded, was, uh, was actually founded by the Apostle Paul. It was written, uh, the, it was founded between 50 and 52 AD. And, and this is when he worked there. He was there for a year and a half. And while he was there, he planted this church in this crazy evil environment, this environment where God seemed as though wasn't needed. Corinth was a place where God wasn't needed. God wasn't necessary. They had everything they needed. They had money. They had, they had sex. They had food. They had everything. There was no need. It was a very successful place. They did not have a need for God. They were very religious. They did not have a need for Jesus. What you'll find in this, Paul was given by the Spirit direction to go into Corinth and actually plant this church. Amongst all of this debauchery and amongst all of these these social conundrums amongst all of these difficulties, someone had the audacity to start a church. They started this church, and Paul began to lead these people down what a new life of holiness and a new life of righteousness looked like in the community of believers. The people of Corinth had a reputation in the ancient world as unruly and hard drinking and sexually promiscuous, and when unbeliever people who were not followers of Jesus became followers of Jesus, rightly so. They brought that right into the church. And so when Paul left and was uh, now working with the the church of Ephesus, uh, Chloe, who was one of the first converts, wrote a letter to Paul and said, Paul, you got to come back. Things are falling apart in the church. So Paul wrote a letter. He wrote, uh, it's called the previous letter. And this previous letter was where Paul actually gave it to the the Corinthians. He just gave it to them. And and, and they actually misunderstood the letter. They misunderstood the love of the letter. And so they were really offended at Paul because Paul would write such terrible things to them. But the letter was lost in translation. It's never been found, but it's called the previous letter. So then Paul wrote another letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 to 4, directly to, to 
deal with some of these issues that were happening in the church. And before he could send off that letter, he wrote a third letter, which is the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 to 16, which was to address that they came to him and said there is incest in the church. Sexual immorality is, is pervasive in the church. In fact, there's a, a man who's having sex with his mother-in-law, and, it's ha- and, it, and the church is just allowing it to happen. No one is saying anything. And Paul wrote this book. It was actually two letters. Uh, chapter 1 to 4 was the first letter, and chapter 5 to 16 was the second letter. And he sent it off to them to be read amongst the Corinthians. And I thought it would be interesting to read this to give you a picture of where the church was at. And powerful leaders promote themselves against each other, each with his own band of loyal followers, and one of them is having an affair with a stepmother, and instead of disciplining him, many in the church boast of his freedom in Christ to behave in such a way. Christians sue each other in secular courts. Some like to visit prostitutes. As a backlash against this rampant immorality, another faction in the church is promoting celibacy, complete sexual abstinence for believers married and unmarried as the Christian ideal. And still others debate rage about how decisively new Christians should break from the past of, of disagreements about men and women roles in the church just to add to the confusion. And all of this were not enough. Alleged prophecies and speaking in tongues will happen regularly, but not in constructive fashion. And a significant number of these immature Christians did not even believe in the future bodily resurrection of Christians. And then this is what it wrote. This is what the church at Corinth, it could sound like many of our churches today. So if Paul were to write a letter to the 21st century Bible-believing evangelical Protestant church much like ours or a church like ours, it would actually be a very similar letter that he'd write saying, listen, in our churches right now in North America, you could see pride and you could see sexual morality and you could see all sorts of cultural things in the church that normally we would say are not okay are coming into the church and we don't know what to do. What's right and what's wrong? What's truth? How do you define what is okay and what is not okay? Oh, well, I don't stand for that, but I stand for that. Well, I don't like this. Well, I don't like that. And divisions start in the church. We have to stop for a moment and recognize that that is a reality in our culture and even in our church today. And I'm going to do whatever I can to combat that, to teach you today what truth is. And as we talk about this today, we're going to look at some scriptures, again, that are not in 1 Corinthians. And I want to help understand and ask the question, what is truth? And there's a difference between a secular worldview and a biblical worldview. And if you are new to the faith, if maybe you're here today, you say, I'm not a Christian, so this is going to be interesting. You say, well, I am a new Christian. Well, new believers, well, first of all, people who are not Christians, we shouldn't expect anyone who's an unbeliever to adhere to the biblical law or the biblical word or God's word or God's way or the way Jesus lives his life. We should not expect unbelievers to adhere to that reality because they don't know the Lord. So why would we put an expectation of hate and, and, and fear-mongering on people who don't know God to have to act like us when they're not like us? We should just love them and say, hey, we love you, 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 we love you. If you're a new believer, you say, well, it's, it's probably pretty normal for you because your secular world system, your view is colliding with your Bible view and what you used to think was okay is not necessarily okay any longer and you're having this conundrum in your faith. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you probably potentially never even stopped to think about your view. You've just accepted as it is, and you've grown up in this environment where you've been told what to think, and you've never stopped and said, what kind of view do I have of this world? And so I want to start by reading in John chapter 18, famous verse, Jesus is on trial with Pilate. 
18 to 33 to 38, he says, Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews? He asked him. Jesus replied, Is that your own question? Or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted. Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders, but my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate said, So you're a king? Jesus responded, You say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and I came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth, Pilate asked. So Jesus actually just presented what truth is. I came to testify and tell you about what truth is. And Pilate's secular worldview was, well, what's truth? What's truth? How do we define truth? Who really knows what the truth is? How can you say you know the truth? How can you say you have the capital on truth? How does anyone know what real truth is? We find answers of philosophers from Socrates to the last century have asked these questions. Is truth absolute? Is truth knowable? Does it transcend the laws of physical nature or does it correspond to reality? The, the wisest man on the planet, Solomon, outside of Jesus, wrote these words in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 3.11. He said this, He has also, God, has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So there is something that is hardwired into your reality that you might know whether you're a follower of God today or not. Before the foundation of time when God, I believe God created you, he wired your brain and your heart to have something inside of you that asks this question, I know I, I don't understand it all, but there's something in my heart that says I don't quite grasp the truth. What is truth. Eternity has been written on my heart. An eternity of God, an eternity of what God's word says has been written in my heart. And that's why there's this constant search for truth because most individuals have it wired in their heart already to ask these questions. What is truth? What is the meaning of life? Why am I here? Tell me what truth is. Now before we can talk about what truth is, we have to talk about what truth is not. That's the most important thing, I think, because once we talk about what truth is not, it'll help you really easily understand what truth is. The first thing that truth is not is truth is not whatever works. The mindset here would be that the idea of way of, it has its, this has its roots in secular humanism and Darwinism. The idea rejects the notion of absolute right and wrong. It rejects the idea of good and evil. It rejects the idea of truth and error. This pragmatism ultimately defines truth as that which is useful and meaningful for right now. So if we look at the, the ancient concepts or the ancient uh, ideologies or philosophies or morals of a, a Judeo-Christian uh, philosophy, you might look at that and say, man, that's ancient, that's old, that was another culture. Therefore, in our culture now, whatever works, whatever seems to bring people together, whatever seems to cause the most unity, whatever seems to make the most sense, whatever seems to work in my worldview, that means it's truth. Now that means in another culture, 
in five years, 10 years, 20 years, that truth can change. Meaning that whatever our truth is, whatever our culture says it is. So if the culture says it's truth, the next culture, the next society, the next uh, way of living will be the next truth. And so truth actually is evolving and changing. It's whatever works. So the concept of God would work for some and not work for others. The concept of morals would work for some but not work for others, depending on their culture, depending on where they live. You might say, well, someone in Papua New Guinea doesn't share the same cultures that we do. Therefore, the truth that they have is their truth. It works for them, but this does not work. Therefore, it's whatever works. Truth is not whatever works. Truth is not what is logically consistent or understandable, meaning that a group of people could get together and make a lie, and and if enough people believe the lie and make an agreement to project that lie, it then becomes truth for some people. This is a big fake news thing right now, where enough people say the same thing and believe that something is true. It's like getting a tweet that Sylvester Stallone is dead, and you think, oh my gosh, did you hear Sylvester Stallone's dead? And enough people believe Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone's looking at his tweet saying, I'm not dead, what's going on? That we look at our, our, our social constructs right now in the world that we live in and we realize that it is not, truth is not what is logically consistent and understandable. My example is found in Matthew chapter 28. Um, Matthew chapter 28, there it is. When the chief priests had met, verse 12, when the chief priests had met with elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If the report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. So they spreaded this word. They paid them to say this thing. And now among our current Jewish community, they say, well, yeah, didn't you know that the disciples just stole the body? So it's circulated among a group of people. And just because a group of people believe this does not necessarily mean that it is truth. The third one is that truth is not defined by what is intended. It's not defined by what is intended. Someone with really good intentions could have a false conclusion. Someone with really great desires could have a false conclusion. Have you ever seen the show American Idol? You go on American Idol and they watch the very big, they just relaunch the show and they, they, you watch all these, ter- these people who are obviously terrible singers. And they let some of them through, I think, for comedic value. And they get to the front of them. You guys have seen it before. And the first person says, oh, sweetheart, you know, it's so good. You could do this better and that better. And they get to the next person and say, oh, well, I'm just going to have to pass. And then comes to Simon Cowell. And Simon Cowell says, who told you you were good? Just because your mama didn't want to hurt your feelings. She told you for years that you should be a professional singer and you based your whole life on this truth and the reality is is that just because someone says it and has good intentions for it does not make it true. There's a lot of hot topics here I could talk on, but we won't go there now. But just because someone has a good heart in saying something to keep you from feeling uh, hurt or pain does not mean that what they're saying is true. The next one that, that truth, is not, truth is not comprehensive, just because somebody has a long, drawn-out, detailed explanation. Comprehensive uh, facts are really important for the truth, but it does not, just because someone has a long, drawn-out answer for something does not mean that it is true. They might come to a false conclusion after all that comprehensive study. Truth is not derived 
from an from experience or an existential re- it's not existentially relevant meaning that this is big one for Christians it's not experience only I've been asking people this question, why do you believe what you believe as a Christian? Well, I had an experience when I was at Bible camp. Well, that's awesome. That's good. But what else do you have? Well, I just have, I mean, I was like, I was worshiping and I felt fire and I, I, I got healed. I mean, like, I, you know, I, I got healed and like, it was awesome. I'm telling you, I've experienced it. Well, that's good. That's the first step towards finding truth. But that is, that is your truth, not, not a truth. And it's important as followers of Jesus, we can't just say, oh, yeah, I've experienced it. I've been in that worship service. Man, when James played and God came down, yes, that is a good start. That's a good step towards it. But you cannot have just experience. There's a lot of people who are taking drugs right now to have these godly experiences that actually induce a euphoric out-of-body experience. And some of them have actually experienced God. But they looked at them years later and realized that that God experience did not change their life. It changed their life for a moment. You've got to have more than just experience because then you're going to try to go from experience to experience. And when, when James is playing that same song but it doesn't touch you like it did before, you get discouraged and you look for something else to get that truthful experience when in reality experience is good but truth is not based alone on experience. Next thing that truth is not, truth is not what the majority says is true. And I've kind of alluded to this thought already but 51% of a lie is still a lie. This is interesting because I was reading about a young boy. He was in his teens and he came to his pastor and he said, Pastor, I want you to know that I, I believe the Bible's true. I finally believe that it's true. Did you know that just because you believe something is true doesn't make it true? And the pastor said to this man, he said, this boy, to you the Bible's true because you believe it. To me, I believe the Bible because it's true. There's a difference in our belief system between saying, well, why do you believe that? Well, I just believe it's true. Well, why do you believe it's true? Well, I just believe it. This is a big deal for Christians. We grew up in a construct. We are taught to believe certain things, which is good. But your answer can't just be, well, I just believe it. I don't know. That is not truth. Truth is not just because a majority of group of people believe it. Truth is not just because you've grown up with this mindset or this belief system that your parents worked really hard to radicalize you, which I'm doing for my kids, because if the society's going to radicalize my kids, well, by golly, I'm going to radicalize mine. I'm not going to let the culture do it. I'm going to teach them about Jesus and teach them about the Word of God. I was sitting with Brea in my bed yesterday, and she, I asked her the question. I said, Brea, why do, you believe in, why do you believe in the Bible? And she says, well, because it's true. I said, that's not good enough, girl. You better start figuring it out. And I'm willing to help show you how. But if you think that just because of a majority of people say that the Bible is true, it doesn't necessarily make it true. The reason the Bible is true is because it's true. Not because you believe it. Your belief system has nothing to do with the, 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 the truthness of the Bible. Truth is not based solely on what the majority says. And finally, the last one which we'll spend most of our time on today truth well i'm sorry one more and then i'll get to that one (laughs) which i just stated simply is what is believed and lastly truth is not what feels good truth is not what feels good a bad report card makes you feel badly but it doesn't change the fact that you suck at math We live in a society today that bases all truth on feeling 
Truth is not what you feel. Truth is not what you feel. I feel I'm a good singer, but you're not, so just get over it. Truth is not what you feel. If I were to take a take this picture here and put this in front of you and ask you the question, which color is true? Which color is right? Well, I like the orange one, but I don't want to offend James, so I'm just going to say they're all right. Because he might really like orange. <laughs> I don't want to step on his orange thing. So, I think pink is true. Well, I think yellow is true. Well, I think orange is true. Which one's right? Well, are they all right or are they all wrong? Which is it? We live in a culture that says, well, I really think that this is right. This is the right construct for me, but I'm not going to. I mean, they, they think yellow is right. I don't want to offend them. This is a picture of our society, Starburst. <laughs> we live in a world where we base everything on feeling. We base everything on what makes us feel good, but in the long run, what makes you feel good will ultimately be your demise. In fact, it's very interesting. Newsweek, uh, several years ago, asked a thousand people this question, predominantly Protestant evangelical Christians. Can a good person who doesn't share your religious beliefs attain salvation or go to heaven? And 68% of evangelical Protestants, Protestants said yes. Their thinking was, it's judgmental and intolerant to say that one person is right and everyone who doesn't believe like him is, is or her is wrong. That's why 60 3% of people predominantly under the age of 30 don't believe that Jesus is the son of the one true God. That seems too exclusive and intolerant to them. Jesus is a son of God, but that, they, that, they can't bring themselves to say that he is exclusively God. Because that doesn't make people feel good. We live in a culture where I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm sad to say is based solely on how you feel. If I were to tell you today that 7 plus 3 equals 10, and that truth is true for everyone, everywhere, across the world, but you had a hard time with 10, it doesn't change the fact that that is the equation. Mathematical geniuses, to people who can't do math, have to come to the same conclusion that 7 plus 3 equals 10, whether you like it or not. That's called truth. And the reality of truth, and the reality of what truth is, is that truth is truth. Not because you believe it, not because you feel it, not because the majority says it's true. It's truth whether you believe it or not. It's truth even if you disagree with it. It's truth even if you don't like it. It still remains to be truth. Let me use this analogy for you right now. The box of crayons. How many crayons are in this box? Come on, why don't someone just give me an idea? How many do you think? John, how many do you think crayons are in this box? That's way off, dude. <laughs> when the manufacturer made this box, his intention was, I'm going to put this many crayons in the box, and no matter what anyone says, there's, there's 96 crayons in that box. 96 crayons are in that box. This is truth. If I take this away, you up for interpretation. That's called relevant truth. 
You decide what you want, and if you don't like it, you say it must not be true. It must not be true that there's 96 crayons in that box. Well, you have to know something today. There's 96 crayons in that box. Whether you like it or not, whether you, whether you like the colors or not, whether you like the, the size of the box or not, whether you like the number 96, it is true, it is true, it is true. That is the basis of truth. That it actually has nothing to do with what you think about it. It just remains true. And it's very important as followers of Jesus. It's essential to your Christian faith. And in fact, I felt so righteously angry this week as I researched this because I want believers to understand you cannot just go to church and say, well, I believe in Jesus. Well, why? I don't really know why. I don't really know why I believe the Bible. I don't really know why I believe that God is the one true God. I really don't know that. So when you're faced with culture, you're in the culture, you will be more commonly of the world than you want to be Because you've decided that I will not have a position on truth. It's important that you understand that Christianity claims do have absolute truth. And I believe it's the truth for everyone, everywhere, at all times. That what we believe is truth impacts our view of the world, which we'll talk about next week, is how do we take this worldview, this biblical worldview, and begin to live out our life. Identify what that worldview is. But today, the idea is that what we believe is truth implies our view of the world and how we live in it. And what is a worldview? Just to help you understand what worldview is, a worldview, very clearly, is how one views or interprets reality. It's the framework through by which one makes sense of the data of life. It's, it makes a world difference in one's view of God and origins, of, uh, origins and evil and human nature and values and destiny. It influences your personal meaning and values, the way that people act and think. And so you say, Ryan, uh, as I become a Christian, I just need to just like stop doing those things? No, you need to understand that as a follower of God, there actually is absolute truths that are true for those who don't know God and true for those who do know God. And these absolute truths are the thing that develop our biblical worldview. And now when we engage our life through a biblical worldview, I now know how to conduct my life in the world because of this biblical view that I receive from absolute truth. So now you're founding your life, your decisions, your marriage, not on this whimsical idea of this cutesy idea of being obedient to God's word, which is good, but you have to know why you are to be obedient to God's word. It's like telling my kids, do this, why? Just because I told you to. Well, that's not going to work for very long. Then my son's going to say, I need more than that. And as you grow in your walk with God, in the beginning, that's okay. Being obedient to God's word just because the word of God says it, I get it. But as you grow, if you want to mature as a follower of Jesus, you've got to start to know the why. Why? Why? There's a few questions that, are, that, that we address when we look at our worldview. The important questions of our worldview when we define it, we answer these three questions. The first question, where did we come from and why are we here? Which is actually the very most important question that will actually help you define the rest of these truths. The second question is, why is there something terribly wrong with the world? What happened? And thirdly, the question is, can what is wrong with the world be fixed? So why am I here? Where did I come from? Why are things so screwed up? And is there an answer? And see, the cool part about being a follower of God is that we now have the truth for those questions. 
And those very basic fundamental truths that we are going to learn today in the last moments we have together, those absolute truths are actually the foundation in which you should build your life on. And all the rest of your questions about morality and life now will be built on these three realities. Why am I here? Where did I come from? What's wrong with our world? And how do we fix it? So the absolute truth number one, we answer the question, where did we come from and why are we here? The, this is an absolute truth. So what I'm saying is whether you believe it or not, it's true. And I'm not going to go into the historical and evidence today. We'll do that on another day. But today I'm just going to make the statements, let them go in your mind. First one is that the triune God created humanity in his image so that we could have a meaningful relationship with him and he put us on the planet to have a purpose in it. We are image bearers of God. We are wired to be, think, live, and act like him. We find this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So it says here that God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. And so we have three belief systems that surround this. The first one is the idea of theism, which declares that God created it. Most of us here would be theists. We believe that there's an infinite God and he created me. But the atheistic perspective is we believe that we evolved by chance. So we would believe that there is no God. So when an atheist with good intentions. These people aren't evil or bad. We love them. We encourage them and it's great and we want them to know Jesus. But generally, when a person who is an atheist and does not have a foundation of God but has morals, those morals came from somewhere. An atheist would believe that we came from the molecules of, like, of a fish. And so if we came from fish, where did we get the hard wire for morality? Most atheists would disagree that we receive that from the Judeo-Christian values that were birthed by being hardwired by God as image bearers. And so we struggle with that to think, what? How can I be an image bearer of God, uh, not be an image bearer of God, and have morals? Morals, our compass of value and ethics, can only come from a just moral creator. We were wired to think that way. So the atheistic perspective is there's no God. And thirdly, the, pantheist, the pantheist view holds that we are emanated from God. The belief in the finite God generally called the universe. A lot of people talk about the universe. They believe in a God, but they believe in the universe. So the universe brought us together. The universe did. I have a lot of friends who say that. The universe. And they're talking about God, the unknown God. But what they don't realize is that the infinite God is beyond that, and he has a purpose for your life. You don't just die, go into the soil, and become a plant one day, and then die, I'll go into the soil, and become a tree one day. But this idea that all you do is you live your life, you go into the soil, you live your life, and you're just a part of God. You become a part of the creator. That reality is not birthed in an image creator because you have purpose. You have a purpose on this planet. And so the idea that we are image bearers is absolutely fundamental for you to believe that you were created in the image of God. So when you deal with crazy anxiety or crazy fear or all these different things in your mind, you think, man, where do these things come from? Remember, you're an image bearer of God. Therefore, you have the image of God, which means those things that you're feeling are opposing to the very idea how God created you. Those are not how God created you to be. The second thought that answers why is there something ter terribly wrong in the world? This is going to be a tough one. We sinned against God, subjecting ourselves and the world to the curse of evil, decay, and death. 
Romans chapter 1, probably the best example of this, verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. What, the, what Paul is saying here is that from the very beginning of time, you've seen creation. I mean, how many of you went out today and thought, it's cold, but it's beautiful. I can't help but look up at the cosmos and stars and the sun and the moon and think to myself, this is not by chance. I can't look at the birth of a child or the molecules of the DNA in your body and the, the infrastructure, the, the, the crazy intricacies of how you were made and think, how could there not be a God? He's saying, it's been proven to you in cre- creation that there is a God. And so the verse says, so that the people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Look at this, Romans tw- uh, one twenty-five. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever be praised. So what we did was, is you were born into a world that, that, that rejected God. You say, Ryan, when did I reject God? When you were born. You were born into a sinful, fallen world, and God created Im- us in his image, and the world went haywire when man exchanged the truth of God for a lie. That is the story. That's what's gone wrong. That's why you have marriage, fights in your marriage. That's why there's sickness in your body. That's why your loved one died prematurely. That's why all the things that you face in your life, you say, why God? God says you were born into the idea of exchanging the truth of God for a lie. But I have some really good news. The third question, how do we fix it? And this is the kicker. This is the good news. This is the reality We believe that even though you and I are a part of that, see, you say, well, I don't accept that. Well, that's fine. It doesn't mean it's not true. You and I chose ourselves. We chose our way. We chose our desires. We chose us. We chose our world over the creator God. You don't like that, and neither do I, but it doesn't change that it's true. And the idea here is that truth tells us this great story how the image bearer created us and something went crazy wrong when man chose themselves over God and we've been living in this world of crazy volatile reality and then one day God decided the third question, how do we fix it? God became a human being and his name is Jesus and he is God and he is the truth and he sacrificed himself to pay the penalty to sin and to one day restore creation to its perfect state. So three things you need to know that Jesus is God. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. So Jesus is God. The second one is that Jesus is truth. John 14.6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that truth came to destroy the lie. John 3.16, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent, his, sent his, his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judging, judging, judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. Look at this. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness, the lie more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed, but those who do what is right 
come to the light so that others can see that they are doing what God wants. What God did is God chose to send the truth to combat the lie. And the truth is, whether you believe it or not, whether you think it or not, many of you do here, but you have to understand the impact of believing that Jesus Christ came to earth and died and rose again on the third day for your sins. It's not this fantasy story. It's not just this really cute song we sing. It impacts our worldview, and it actually is changing the trajectory in our history. And what God came to do is to fulfill that truth that you are image bearers of God, and he died on the cross to bring you back to that state. And when Christ comes back for his, for his people, and he comes, and he will come, that's the truth. He will come back one day. He will, we will stand before him, and we will be restored back to the new heaven and the new earth, and we will experience eternal life with God, restored as image bearers of God in the state that he originally intended us to be. That is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is the truth whether you like it or not. And it impacts every single thing about our lives. So Pilate asked the question, what is truth? I want to end on this last verse. James can can come in Matthew chapter 21. It says this, Jesus entered the temple courts and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him, by what authority are you doing these things? And they asked him, who gave you this authority? And Jesus replied, I'll ask you one question. If you answer me, I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. Now look at this verse with me. It says this. So he says, I'm going to ask you one question. If you can tell me the answer, I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. Look what he says. John's baptism. When John baptized Jesus, where did it come from? Was it from heaven? Or was it of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, well, if we say from heaven, he'll... He'll ask them, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we're afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered, Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. So these Pharisees, listen for a moment. These Pharisees were people who were religious teachers of the law. They were ones who followed the Judeo principles and taught people how to know God. Listen, these people came to Jesus and tell us the truth. We want to know the truth. And what did the Pharisees do? They said, okay, well, if I, John's baptism. Okay, so if I say it, if I stand for the fact that it's of heaven, uh, then, then he's going to say, well, why didn't you follow God? And if I say that it's of human origin, then all these people here are going to hate me for it. They didn't care about the truth. They cared about saving their own skin. And I want you as a follower of Jesus to hear this challenging message today. That many of us today stand in that conundrum. We say, well, if I, if I declare to my family members or to people around me, if I stand for the truth that Jesus really is God based on experience and evidence, my fear is this. Either A, I'll have to adhere to that reality and begin to live like that, or B, my mom and dad or my friends or my coworkers won't like me, they'll reject me, and I won't be the person I want to be in their world. And so I have either this lifestyle that I need to change or I have this, pers- this, this reputation I have to protect. I don't really care about the truth. I care about saving my own skin. And it's important in today's relative truth society that you as a follower of Jesus not only know the truth but stand for the truth. 
When you have people around you who are followers of God, who are saying things that you're like, what? Don't worry about your skin. Worry about the truth. Now, obviously, the scripture says to share your truth in love. But my challenge for you today is why do you believe what you believe? But you have a responsibility as a follower of Jesus Christ to figure it out. And when those hot topics come, when those challenging things come your direction, and you say, Ryan, I don't want to go there because I don't want to offend this person, and I don't want to offend that person. Listen, however they feel and however you feel does not change the truth. Look at this last verse, and we'll, we'll worship. John chapter 17 will be our key text for next week. John 17, I have given them your word. Now look down here. Verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. Look, your word is truth. So Jesus declares, your word is truth. So he says, I've given them your truth. Now look what he says. And the what? World has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Look what he says in verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Notice the world in. You have to know something. The truth you have, if you accept that truth in your life, if you accept the journey of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, hear my words. People aren't going to like the fact that you hold truth absolute truth that you are declaring this is the truth i have experience and i have evidence and i couple those together and you cannot argue with that reality that no matter what you think it is truth now if you're a person who doesn't know god here today i want you to hear me today jesus christ came and died just for you and no matter what i say today no matter what if you disagree with me or agree with me or not the truth is this he created you with a purpose Something went haywire. And you're caught up in that nastiness. But there's a fix. His name is Jesus. And by the power of Jesus Christ, what he does is he comes and he changes the way you live. He changes the way you act. He changes the way you experience. He changes your perspective on life. And not only do you live a life of peace and joy amongst the worst of circumstances in this life, but when you die, you don't just cease to exist. You spend an eternity with Christ in heaven. And an acceptance of Jesus Christ in your life will not only change your life on this earth, but it will give you access to an eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven. Would you stand with me this morning? Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.